This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Blue Monday podcast. It's day eight of the government's lockdown and I'm pleased to say that my guest is looking fit and healthy and living proof that there are no food shortages in Belfast. I'm in <laughs> pleasure, I'm delighted to be in the company of Ipswich Town legend Jim Majilton. Jim, how are you? Sean, I'm grand, all things considered, given the extraordinary times we're living in. Uh, yeah, I'm grand, I'm I'm self-isolating like we all are. I'm housebound. I get out for an hour a day like most people trying to keep fit, uh, but having to deal with it like everybody else. Yeah. Um, any any former players that you would have played with that um, you wouldn't want to be self-isolating with? Uh, there are quite a few. Uh, who wouldn't I like to self-isolate with? Uh, Fabio Milnes would be one because he'd be always brushing his hair or, or waxing himself down. He would definitely be one. Who else? Scoey, because he would bore the living daylights out of me. Jimmy Clapham, likewise. Uh, Matty, because he'd be putting his foundation on, his makeup on, uh, high cheekbones. Uh, Mark Venus, constantly looking at the paper, constantly looking at the Racing Post. Mugger, well, just for being Mugger. Uh, who would I like to be with? I'd like to be with, listen, I picked Jermaine Wright, right? Jamma and I were roommates for a long time, so he'd be one I'd stay with. And who'd be other? Ooh. Gary Croft, always like Crofty, but the only thing is we'd have to take that angle bracelet off him and, and make sure he got in <laughs> before ten o'clock. So <laughs> Well he, he no, hopefully he'll he'll feature in this he'll he'll feature in this this podcast today. Um after I knew that you were you were gonna come on and do an interview, I phoned up all of your ex teammates and said, uh, who wouldn't you want to be stuck at? And they all said Jim. <laughs> I don't blame any one of them, they're right too. No. So, Jim, what I was hoping to do, there, there's so so much, you know, that we could talk about, you know, as, as your time as, as player and then manager and everything within the club. You span such, span such a long period of time. But I thought I wanted to focus on from the time that you, you came to, to join Ipswich 
up to Wembley and I have a little bit of a cunning plan that you'll enjoy this so much and the people watching it will enjoy it so much as well that you'll agree to do another one. So Not let's go back. Let's go back to September 1997. You made over 100 Premier League appearances for Southampton and then David Pleat signs you for Sheffield Wednesday. He's then soon replaced by Ron Atkinson. And then after that, Ron Atkinson is replaced by Danny Wilson. Can you um, explain why things weren't working out for you at Sheffield Wednesday? And what was the thinking of your short-term loan deal to Ipswich? Yeah, go back and go back in time to Southampton. I, I had fought so hard to get back in, to get into the Premier League uh, at Southampton after a fantastic spell at Oxford United. So the next move to Sheffield Wednesday came about largely around the the fact that Southampton didn't really show a real urgency uh, or desperation, if you like, to renew my contract. I was four years into a contract and uh, my contract had expired. Dave Jones had come in. I was captain of the club. I played five Premier League games. We were on an international break. And David Cleet rang me up and said, would I be interested in speaking to Sheffield Wednesday? And I said I would. I went up. Uh, really liked David Pleat. Really liked his thoughts, his views on the game. He was so passionate and energetic. Uh, he talked passionately about how he wanted to play. Sheffield Wednesday were on the back of a fantastic season the year before. I think they finished sixth or seventh in the Premier League. Lots of good players. The Canio, Carboni, Des Walker, John Newsom, Ian Nolan. Hinchcliffe was there. You know, So there were a lot of top, top players. Guy Whittingham. Uh, Mark Pembridge, you know, so the list went on. So for me, I wanted to continue, obviously, in the Premier League. I felt I'd done enough. I was an established player in the Premier League. I played so long. I didn't miss many games at Southampton. Four years, Premier League. Felt very comfortable in that surroundings. And I thought, right, okay, Sheffield Wednesday, big club. It felt like a natural progression. And when David Pleat signed me, I had his stamp of approval. David Pleat has a, a great standing in the game. Uh, and wanted to play an attractive uh, way of playing uh, uh, football. So for me, it was a no-brainer going there. I was very sad to leave uh, Southampton uh, under those circumstances. But again, I had a manager who was showing faith in me and was going to give me a, a platform to go and play. So off I went. Things didn't go particularly well. Uh, Pleady was under a lot of pressure. We lost games. And then Pleady got the sack. Big Ron came in. Uh, again, with a massive reputation, I'd always watched his teams of the past and, and, and regarded him as another football man who wanted to play an attractive brand of football. I played the first three games. We won all three. Uh, we went to Southampton, ironically, where we won. We beat Bolton well at home and we beat Arsenal at home. And I think that was in the November. And then he dropped me for no reason. Big Ron dropped me. Uh, I was captain at, at Sheffield Wednesday at the time. And he dropped me. And I didn't play again until April. And that was the longest spell I'd ever been out of football. The longest spell. The longest spell of not playing back in the reserves. That awful feeling uh, of going back playing reserve team football. And then he brought me back for West Ham at home. And I scored. And that was a, that was a massive test for me. You know, November, so what's that, five months of not playing at that level, having been used to four years of playing Premier League football. So it was a real test of character and a real test of resilience. And I played on the day. We drew 1-1. I scored the goal. 
played the next two or three games. Then he dropped me again. Once Sheffield Wednesday became safe, dropped. And I knew I wasn't going to be part of his plans moving forward. That summer, Ron goes. Danny comes in, a former playing colleague from Northern Ireland. I'm thinking Danny will give me an opportunity. Pre-season couldn't have gone any better. I was playing consistently, playing well. And then I was left out first game of the season and didn't play. So again, another spell in the reserves, which was... Uh, it wasn't it wasn't great for me. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, regardless of having to travel every week, sitting on the bench at, uh, at Premier League games, I just didn't enjoy it. For me, I'd had to be playing. So it came to a head. John re- really came to a head. Frank Barlow was a was Danny's assistant, and Frank was a real football man, a real football man. And I went to him and I just said, "Listen, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it." And I said, "I want to go out and loan." I said, and he said, that shouldn't be an issue, Jim. shouldn't be a problem. I know two or three clubs that are interested. I'll go and speak to Danny. You go and speak to Danny after this conversation, and then we'll see what happens. So I went to see Danny. Danny said, right, well, you're on the bench. What's, you know? And I outlined everything about him. He understood, sympathetic, haven't played the game. Again, we were former colleagues, quite sympathetic, but he had a job to do. And and I, I was, I my, my focus was, Every day, I planned myself every day, wanted to train hard, wanted to prove myself, but no job satisfaction at the end of the week. And that was so important to me. Then I heard that Ipswich were interested and looked looked at Ipswich, knew the great heritage, it produced two England managers, one winning the World Cup. I knew where the club were in terms of standing in the English game. I was very impressed with George Burley, very impressed with the squad uh, and I I wanted to give it a go and I was really really determined uh, to go and uh, if you like you know give myself an opportunity to, to, to really express himself again and to be fair one conversation with George and that was it and I fit it right in right away and that was probably down to the group of players I went and, and joined. So what was your first impressions of the of the players that you joined who stood out for you you know early on? My first impression of getting to Ipswich was, where are the signposts for Ipswich? So when I got on the A14, I went, where is it? Do you know, why isn't there signposts for, the, for Ipswich? All I could see was Felix, though, Felix, though, Felix, though, and these lorries just got, getting to Felix, though, Felix, though. And then all of, a, all of a sudden I see Ipswich 24 May. I went, thank goodness, right? So I got there, and in the dead of night, and I'm going, what have, what, what have I done here? What have I done? And then I saw the stadium and then I knew there was just that butterflies and I knew. And my first impression going in, I knew that senior players and the senior players were good lads. So Vino, Mickey Stockwell, Mugga, uh, and then surrounded by younger players. And first training session, I was really impressed with quality. I thought, yeah, they may lack a little bit of intensity, but I really thought quality. Dyer was there. Johnson was there, Holland was there, Clapham was there, Scowcroft was there, Richard Wright was there, Naylor was there. I'm thinking, this ain't bad. I'm liking this. Now, they need a nudge. They're definitely going to need a nudge. And and I really enjoyed it. Sunderland away was a real baptism of fire, but loved it. It couldn't have been a better start for me, and it couldn't have given me a better incentive to go and prove myself again. How, how different was the, the style of football when you when you played for, for against Sunderland in the... In, in Division One as it was then, 
Listen, they were a good side. They were a top, top side, full of Premier League footballers. So that felt like a Premier League game. And and what I did uh, after the game was assess the players that I was playing with. And I really liked it. I really, I got a real good smell of it and really liked what I was what I was seeing in the dressing room. Like how George presented it. Like how George presented himself. He was very calm in the dressing room as well with the players. I like, I like, I like the. Uh, I just got a really good feeling, and and that again, I couldn't wait to get going again. Yeah. So after the debut at Sunderland, uh, it was a run of seven wins in the next nine games. Mm. Your loan was extended, and and Ipswich fans will remember the sign with Jilton up uh, chance at Portman Road. Uh, particularly, and also in, in the away game at Palace. Um, and then we come to the last game of the loan against Huddersfield, which you score, yeah. I think it's your first goal, yeah. in the opener in a 3-0. Town is sitting second with nine games to go. Yeah. Talk to us about how, how the deal became permanent and uh, approaching 30, what did you want in your career at that point? Well, what was really special about that game, my dad was at the game, so my dad came over and watched the game. And we were travelling back to actually we were travelling back to Belfast that night, and I don't know why was there was it an international break or whatever I can't really remember the circumstances, but uh, just just this feeling of I really felt that Ipswich Town were going to get promoted, and it gave me a chance to go back into the Premier League. So selfishly, I'm thinking, right, let's get this deal done. Uh, and I know at the time there were. There were certain noises coming out, maybe uh, both clubs, that there was a hesitancy on my part. Definitely wasn't a hesitancy. All it was was that we were trying to obviously sort out to make sure the deal was going to be done, right? And what people don't really understand is that there are a lot of other things that go on before you decide to go. Uh, my wife was pregnant uh, with uh, Ryan, who was born in Ipswich, Sam, and uh, we had things that we needed to sort out. And that was basically it. And once I knew in my head that that was going to be taken care of, the two clubs had reached an agreement. I'd reached an agreement with with Sheffield uh, Wednesday. And this all gets played out. I was sold. I knew it was done and it was it was permanent. That was it. There was nothing going to stop me. Mentally, I was ready for uh, what was coming. And I was desperate to get the club promoted. So we go into the last six games of your first season with this in 1999. We've got a three-point lead in um, in second, but then we have that horrible collapse, three defeats in the next five, and we allowed Bradford to take second place. What what do you think went wrong in those last games? Was it was it pressure, mentality? You know, yeah, probably in, in the... all of that. Of course, it does. That plays a part. You're dealing with young players as well, inexperienced maybe. Uh, I felt responsible too because George brought me in for my experience. Uh, we had good players. Listen, it just games just got away from us. We weren't probably ruthless enough in, in certain games. Maybe it did get to us a little bit. I remember we played Stockport at home and actually scored that night. We won one nil. Then we had Crew at home, and there was kind of a flatness about us. I don't know what it was. It was a it was quite eerie. They had good players. They nice and Danny Murphy. Mark Rivers, good players who were who could hurt you. I think Jamal played that way uh, for Crew that day as well, Jermaine. So they had good players technically. I knew it was a potential banana skin, but I just thought we had, we would have too much firepower. When we lost that game, I think a little bit of doubt crept in. I think it crept in maybe to others. I was still pretty determined. Uh, 
and I, and it was a setback, but I wasn't I didn't think it was going to to be that detrimental to us, but unfortunately it was. So yeah, it slipped away from us and it was extremely disappointing. But we had to regroup, we had to go again. So the the nineteen ninety nine playoff semi final ends in defeat to Bolton on, on away goals. Yeah. Meaning you'll be starting a first season in years outside the top flight. Is yeah. there any part of you at, at any point then that you felt that you'd made a mistake in, in coming to Ipswich? No, it had gone. Chevy Wednesday was just a, a, a learning curve for me. It, it was a harsh experience, but it was an experience that I was willing to learn from. Still felt we had good players, and I knew that George had an eye for a player, and I knew he'd be bringing good players in. He definitely did. He strengthened the squad. Jermaine came in. Uh, John McGreal came in in the summer, I think. And... Uh, so, so I, I only felt optimistic. I felt really, really strong. And that proved to be the point because we started this, that season like a house on fire. I was injured and I didn't come back in until I think Barnsley at home where we beat Barnsley six, ironically, at home that season uh, just early on. And to think what would happen towards the end of that season. But the, the boys started so quickly and they got out of the block so quickly and I think we were top of the league. I think we've won seven games or six games on the trot. So, no, I wasn't negative at all. Just really focused. How, how big of a loss was it to the side with Kieran Dyer leaving in that summer? Massive. Massive. Outstanding player. One of the best players I've played with. Uh, he was he was a match winner. He was one of them go-to lads who you, who you knew in a game. And you need these take where if games are take, something... Or someone pulled something out of that out of the hat for you, and he was one of them. He was that type of player, and he was still only emerging. He was still learning the game, but he was a he was a massive loss because it's it's the, he's the type that you you. It's very difficult to replace. Now we made up for that because Jermaine and John, for example, come in two good players, two two really underrated players in my opinion, two fantastic players who who done so well for Ipswich Town, but at the time. Kieran going was a loss. There's no question. In an interview on our platform, uh, Jono described you as being extremely demanding in training. Yeah. But that you raised everybody's standards around you. Was this a case of you trying to push others to a higher level or were the expectations of the players too low? Uh, you know, was there a noticeable uplift in their standards for the start of your first full season? A bit of both. I, I, as I said earlier, they needed a nudge. They were good players. But a lot of them hadn't played. In fact, none of them had played in the Premier League. You know, Stockers, I think, had an experience. I'm not sure if uh, Mugga had at that stage. But, listen, they had to train at a different intensity. They had to understand in order to get to the next level. And they found that out as they got, as they got obviously, as it emerged. But, no, I was demanding because standards, I always felt that standards in training, you match your standards in training, you bring it into the game. If you're sloppy in training, you'll be sloppy in the games. So there were demands on them. I was constantly at them. And I just seen it as part of, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't realise at times I was doing it because at 16, when you go to Liverpool, there was huge demands on you every single day. Every single day, be better than you were the day before. So there were standards to be met. All I tried to do was train uh, as hard as I could every day, try and be the best I could every day. I was, I was upset if I wasn't the best player or, or presumed that I was the best player. So, I, so in, in order to do that, I was obsessed with it, obsessed with training, obsessed with trying to be, you know, everything I did was of a high standard. And again, 
when I looked at the manager and you think of the manager and you think of the team he played for, I'm sure it was exactly the same because he played in the top, top side, winning European trophies, challenging for league titles. He knew the expectations and maybe that was one of the reasons why he brought me in. It's great that you mentioned standards, but you, you would often try you know, what I would consider high-risk passes, either through balls or switching the play with a lofted pass. Can you explain like the decision making as you as a as a play and you know, a decision making process between the risk and reward and the when playing a more sort of individual off the cuff style that made you stand out? It was just a feel. I I, I got a feeling on the pitch. I I I always visualised the game. I always visualised how the game was going to pan out. I always saw the opposition and I always visualised where I was going to be. I would say to midfield players, and you'll wear that cap, John Elway. You become a quarterback. You never see a quarterback turn around and, and, and drop a back pass or go backwards. You see, a, you see a quarterback in the pocket and he's playing forward passes and he's playing forward passes for touchdown passes. So when I got in with that, with time and space, as a midfield player, if you've got time and space, you've got to hit that pass. You've got to be prepared to hit that pass and you've got to have the confidence in order to hit that. One, you have to have the technical ability to do it, but more and more... More to me is having the guts to do it. And when you're out there, people are paying money for, for entertainment. They're paying money for entertainment. So so to entertain, you got to try and score goals. So we had so many attacking options. So I always thought if I get an opportunity to get my head up and play a forward pass, I was going to hit it. And I used that. And I, I talked to the kids about Tom Brady and, and people like that. I used the, that transference of other sports. You're a quarterback. Why wouldn't you hit that forward pass? And Joe was big on it. Joe used to say, forward, run, forward, pass. So run. I say run. If you run and I don't hit it, it's my fault. So run. So the 1999-2000 season starts, you know, with the team winning, but you're not fit and it takes pretty much until December before you're back starting all the games again. Yeah. Given ultimately you're going to be a key player, how frustrating was it those first few months? You know, Matt Holland was never injured. Jermaine Wright arrived. James Scowcroft was pulled back uh, to play in midfield, um, obstructing your way to get back into the team. Yeah, and I wasn't. I, I wouldn't have been easy. Definitely wasn't easy. I would have been pretty much in people's faces in training, pretty demanding, as, as people have uh, suggested. Not playing in the team, I can't say I would have been your best mate. Uh, so I was, again, wanting to play desperate to play, didn't want to sit on the bench. Listen, George knew, George knew that and he knew my personality and knew my character. But you know what? It probably gave me the energy, right, towards the end of the season. We were so good. It was very difficult. Uh, people were playing so well. Uh, I was always a big believer. If you're playing well and you've got a shirt, the shirt, you deserve to stay in. I brought that with me as a manager. I appreciated that. But I wouldn't have been easy. Definitely not. So, Again, I'd have been pushing people, I'd have been getting after them, I'd have been expecting uh, opportunities to play. I mean, the opportunity came up, I was definitely not going to come out of the save. So, a couple of injury niggles, but there's a brilliant 18-game unbeaten run, and you, you start the vast majority of those games. Gary Croft comes in, uh, yeah. Marcus Stewart arrives for £2.5 million, and on his yeah. debut, I remember you, you provide a beautiful outside of the foot pass, through ball, and you watch Stewart scores and score on his uh, debut. Talk us about the arrival of Marcus Stewart and the standard of the team now at that point compared to one year before. Uh, I have to say, 
Really surprised we got him. Shocked that he left Huddersfield. Shocked. Steve Bruce, I think, was manager and he let him go. George pulled off a massive coup for us. He again was if I look at if I look at Jono, Jono was so explosive, really explosive and fantastic, you know, fantastic striker for us. Physically, people underestimated that he was so strong. But a lot of a lot of Jono's finish was a, a very much an aggressive, you know, uh, blast if you like. Do you know what I mean? A lot of it was dealt in power. It wasn't like a finesse finish, you know, and I'm sure you'll bring up. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Reconnecting. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, coming back in. I made, I made a note at the time. Right. You said, I'm sure you're going to bring up about the finesse of... Something. Yeah, just Mar- uh, Marcus Finesse. Marcus had finesse. Marcus had he was he was he was a cold. He was uh, so clinical in the box. Knew where he was in the box. Had wonderful touch in around the box. Uh, knew where the goals were and could finish. He was a fantastic finisher, and uh, and it was a lovely combination between the two. So. Uh, so that was a massive coup for us. That just gave us an unbelievable edge. And we were, and I in particular was delighted because I built up this, if you like, telepathy with him. I understood where he wanted to go. He said things to me, even even at my age, I, he said things to me that made me really think about the game. You know, one run for the defender, one for you. Do you know, if I go long, I'm coming short. If I go short, I'm going long. So having pictures, having a little look over my shoulder, knowing where he was. Things like that. So he made me a better player. And I'm always for 
you, you know, you're always improving. You're always getting better. So, so he was, he was just a, a brilliant addition. Yeah. Sadly, another five game slip gives Man City the advantage in the promotion mm. race. Tensions rise and it spills over onto the pitch and you and Jono yeah. come to blows at West Brom away. Um, yeah. What what was that about? Was it pressure or did John, no, Jono? Desperation dis- to win. Yeah. Desperation to win. Both of us in our own ways uh, wanted to win a game of football, and that was it. And it and it came away. We were next door neighbours, so it was quite funny. You know, we were going. We got the Portman Road. We went. We we parked up next to each other. We gave each other a little look, and then it was resolved, done. Uh, yeah. And listen, it was it was just a desperation. It was uh, that real. Uh, desire to win and desire to be successful and desire, you know, uh, to to win a game of football and that's what it was. And George sorted it out. We hugged and he made up and then away we went again. So, uh, so that's that's the nature of the game. That's the nature of the game at that level. So, so there was no issues, no issues. So when you when you you know as a fan and you hear a player say you know George sorted it out, what 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 does that actually mean? He brings two babies in, right? And he sits in between them and he says, right, what do you think? What do you think? Right, okay, we all good? Right, let's go. And that's it. Right. So there that's you go. basically it. So there was, and, and again, I had so much respect for what John brought to the game and brought to the team. Uh, and uh, and that, was never going, that was never an issue. So yeah. we had what we had and then away we went. Uh, the battle with Man City intensifies when when you're up against yeah. a team like that. How much is what they're doing in your heads? Uh, and did you have a reaction to the main road pitch invasion after their last home game with us still having two games to play? Because you know, basically, massively. Yeah. Friday night they played and they celebrated as if they'd been promoted. That yeah. really annoyed me so much. It really, really annoyed me. And I knew we were playing champions elect the next day. We had to go to Charlton. And we were magnificent on the day. Absolutely magnificent. We played as well as we played all season. We beat them, we beat them twice, Charlton, that year. We, we in a fantastic two fantastic games. We beat them at home in a brilliant game. And then we beat them away under massive pressure, massive character shown by the players. That that built momentum. That was just for me, that showed these lads are ready for it as well. I was, We were not going to go without a fight. That was massive pressure on us. And to play in the manner in which we played, to win in the manner in which we played, knowing that we had to win, right? that showed to me that we had, we, we still had a big, big role to play that year. I, I, I definitely want to go on to, to talk about the Charlton game. But um, just before, you mentioned obviously the, the, the other Charlton. We beat, we beat them, you know, we did the double. We beat them at home mm. 4-2. In that game, from what I remember, Tony Mowbray came out of semi-retirement, he did. and and there was rumours that Manu Teti um, punched George Burley in the in the dressing room. Absolutely not. No. If he'd have hit, if he'd have hit George, George, George would still be knocked out. Big Manu, you didn't mess with Big Manu. I love Manu too, and no, if George, if Manu had to hit George, George would have still been on the deck. <laughs> There's the answer to that then. Mm. Thanks, Jim. Um, so we talked about uh, Charlton final away game, and this is for for me one of your your standout performances as as a as an Ipswich player. You have that superb free kick early um, into the top corner. You loft a through ball to assist Jono. It's a fantastic pass you put through, and then you do the dribble and pull back for Martin Rusa uh, to score. Can I first ask about free kicks? 
who yeah. decided who would be taking them, considering that you had Vino and, and Clapham were good takers? Yeah. And secondly, what was your process? Just a matter of repeating what you practised or, or was yeah. there something more to that? Just just process, go through the routine. I used to be first in in the morning. I used to practise them before training. Uh, I had two, three steps. And I continued that process right up until I stopped playing. Uh, I had supple in price in. Uh, they used to get a couple of quid for coming in. And mannequins up. Just process, process. I, I, it was just, uh, it was kind of a get it over the wall, get it over the wall. Little bit of pace, little bit of pace. Listen, Royster was another level too. Royster could hit it with real pace. Yeah. I was more kind of a more placement. Royster could do it both ways. He was just outstanding. Vino was more Christ Wallop. He had a fantastic left foot, a cannon of a left foot. And Jamie was probably a little bit like me, more placement. So, listen, at that time, I just felt super confident. I just felt I'm hitting this. I just feel really yeah. good. And again, that comes down sometimes on the on the pitch where. Listen, who fancies this? All right, you. For example, in the playoff against West Ham, I said, Tommy, listen, I think this is made for you. Tommy was a great, he had a really strong side foot. And I said, Tommy, this is you. Look at the wall, look at the bodies. Goalkeeper say, Tommy did, scored. So so again, it was, went up the options. And and at that time, I was super confident and lucky enough it went in. Us fans maybe naively believe that that form exists within teams and, and players. When you have a game like the Charlton one, do you feel you're in great form? And was there a sense as an individual that you were you were peaking as as an individual as the season uh, ended? Really did, unbelievably, Sean. Honestly, I just felt maybe that was because I kind of way had that sabbatical at the start of the season, as I suggested. I felt on top of my game. I just felt really confident. I felt really, really fit. That was a blistering day at Chardon. Blistering. And I felt as if I could run all day. The game felt very easy to me. I had all the pictures in my brain. Real clarity. Real that, that Those last few games, including the final at Wembley, I couldn't believe how clear thinking I was. The clarity in my game, the clarity in my decision-making was so was so evident to me right and I was going into the game super confident I just just was really really confident going into the games and that you know if you could if you could bottle that up and and be able to keep that it'd be fantastic but but certainly that period was a real golden spell for me definitely so we, we go to the last game of the season against Walsall yeah um, one of the strangest games that I've, I've, I've been to so yeah. you're on the ball when all of us fans, you know, cheer that, that Blackburn have, have taken yeah. the lead. How, how does that kind of weird electricity in the stadium at that point affect yeah. the players? Oh, listen, you, 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 you can't not but be caught up on it. So we knew, I, I, I really did think Barnsley were going to do, or Blackburn were going to do us a favour. I really did. Yeah. I really, because, and again, when I look back at that game, they have like three or four unbelievable chances. Unbelievable! So I remember speaking to Kevin Horlock about it after. He said he said they were battered. They got battered at half time. Joe's thinking, "What is going on?" And and then he just ran out of steam. Blackburn and, and the rest is history. But yeah, of course you get caught up on it. You you you're willing, you're wanting, obviously it to go your way. But again, deal with your own business. Deal with that. Deal with the aftermath. Again, I was so determined, as were the rest of the players. We sat in the change room after the game, and it was. Yeah, you can mope, 
but you get 30 seconds to mope because you're going in tonight the two biggest games you're ever going to play. So you've got to dust that down. you got to give yourself a shake and you got to say, right, focus now because you're playing against a top side in Bolton. I thought Bolton underachieved with the quality of player they had and I knew that we were going to face massive games. So before we get to the playoff semi-final, uh, what do you think we were missing in terms of not being able to finish in the top two? It's very difficult, very difficult to say. I don't think an awful lot. I think luck may have played a part. Maybe pressure again. Joe, maybe, uh, you know, we didn't, again, clinical, but we had enough firepower. Listen, I can't answer that because we were, we were definitely, in my opinion, in the top two that year. We're in the top two that year. We proved that. You know, we, we, we had, we had, Top players, in my opinion, again. George would recruit it well. I thought we were a really good side, a really emerging side. I thought there was still so much more to come from the group. And we just fell at the last hurdle again. It was it was again very disappointing. But you have to put it to one side. As I say, the Triton game was crucial for me. I thought, right, we 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 are ready for this. We're gonna be we're gonna have to be ready for this. Walsall we took care of, then we then I knew. Here we go. And again, a massive test of character in the first 30, 40 minutes of that game at Bolton. Massive. Yeah, so the, the, the 20th anniversary of, of the, the playoffs against Bolton coming up. And, and as you say, it's a, a terrible start. Holdsworth scores after five. Good Johnson after about 26. Mogger and Jono are both off injured by the just after the half-hour mark. How hard was that first period? And how do you not lose your head in that type of situation? You can't. They, were, they played so well. And you got to just hold your hands up and just say... Listen, they're a good side. They were everything I thought they'd be, and more. And 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 Edgar Good Johnson, they had the, probably the best player in the championship. I thought he was an outstanding player, and he is an outstanding player and proved to be. You consider the clubs he went on to play for, so he was hard to play against, and they were hard to play against. They, had, you know, they were aggressive. Uh, they came away for thirty minutes, got on top of us. We allowed maybe the occasion to get on top of us. But you got to give credit. you got to hold your hand up and just say they play better than us. Then we settled into the game. We settled beautifully into the game. We got a little bit more ball. We got a little bit of a foothold. They were always going to pan out. It was a blistering hot day again, if I remember well. And Matty sets up Stewie, who pulls out an unbelievable goal. We get in at half-time. We regroup. George again very calm. We get out second half. We were the aggressor. We controlled the game. We were very good. Stewie scores another incredible goal. When you think of his composure and how clinical he was, brilliant. And we were the aggressor going into, I had a chance, I think, and it just skimmed the top of the net. I'm thinking, listen, we've done brilliantly at 2-2. Now we have to regroup. Then there was all sorts of, you know, shenanigans. You know, we had injury worries. You know, yeah. they had injury worries. You know, their main top player, Eider, Good Johnson was doubtful. Mugga was doubtful. Jono was doubtful. Then we get to that game. You know, we get to the Tuesday. It's Tuesday night, wasn't it? The 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 the, the second leg. We we get the massive. We get massive news that Mugga and uh, Jono are going to be fit. That was that was massive for us. Then they get the news that Eddie Good Johnson won't be fit. I, I was delighted. 
I remember dragging it to the ground. I remember that whole day. As I said, it was clarity. I remember being so calm, so, so calm, so clear in my thinking. But cock a hoop that Edgar Goo Johnson was not playing for Bolton. I felt that give us a psychological edge. I was over the moon. So that, that was our little bit of luck that maybe we were we were missing in the league campaign. Yeah. He, He's top, so, top player. So when you lose your top, top player, you're you're... You're not at full strength. That would have played in their main. That's certainly me. I'm thinking, yeah, okay, well, he's gone, yeah. But you're still thinking, match winner. He's their match winner. He's the yeah. boy that can pull something out of nothing. So he, he uh, the, surrounded by really good players, experienced players, lots of experience. So that was massive for me. That was massive for me. That was massive plus. You know, you don't spread that around a dressing room because, again, everybody has their own way of preparing for a game mentally. Me, I was ready. I was going, licking my lips. I was delighted. Uh, I hope that I hope the the, the listeners and the and the viewers can see that the hairs are going on the back on the back of my neck because we get to <clears throat> my my favourite game, my my favourite ever game as a hmm. uh, as an Ipswich Town fan. The 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 first leg was the the Marcus Stewart game you could say but this quite yeah. clearly is, is the Jim and Jilton game and I know there's been you know lots been said about it but you know at the very least for for me and all of the fans out there let's, let's just go through it again and just you know I, I could relive it every day um, Holdsworth again gives Bolton an early lead uh, yeah. but you drive into the box and you you win a penalty yeah. up you get and you score the kick to uh, Jaskalainen's right yeah. talk to me about the nerves given that you'd been fouled for the for the, the penalty kick and how that could be unsettling, and, and what's going on with Mike Whitlow after you scored? You know, what, yeah. what was that? I knew. I, I I remember saying, "We're not going to be bullied. Don't be bullied." There was a there was a there was a feeling maybe from the first game that they were aggressive and, and were trying to bully us. They thought we were too nice. Well, like they were picking on the wrong group, and they were certainly picking on the wrong person. I was not going to be dictated to by them, and I certainly wasn't going to be bullied. Now. In any game of football, you have to play with aggression. You have to play. You can't win. At that level of game, you cannot win without aggression. And it comes in many different forms. It comes in Tony Mowbray winning a header. It comes in, you know, Wayne Brown, who'd been brought in winning tackles. And aggression in running, aggression in your passing. So all of these things were going through my mind, standing in that tunnel. I was not going to be bullied by them. Certainly wasn't. I was going to stand up to them. I didn't go her. her Care who it was. So when I went down for the penalty, there was all sorts of hullabaloo. Paul Warhurst is in my face. I'm going, yeah, dead on. No problem. You're going to get it. Let's have it. You know, so all this, all this. So it was a penalty. End of story. So you ask Elaine and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's going there. It's definitely going there. So you can do whatever you want. I'm putting that ball there. And then after it, I'm thinking, Mick, Mick is a lovely man. He's a lovely, lovely guy. I've networked Mick loads of times. Jimmy Phillips, lovely guy too. They turn into different animals that night, so that's that's fine. That's the nature. Of the that's the nature of sport. You have to turn in once you cross the white line. No problem. Well, I turn into something. I'm not sure different, but definitely, you know, uh, that was. I, I wasn't going to be. No way was I. I was going to stand up to them. I was going to stand up to the aggressor, and I was going to let them have it, no matter what. And they weren't going to bully me, or they weren't going to bully any of the other players. So that was just the way it was going to be. And then, obviously, the second penalty, and they were delighted. <laughs> Can you remember what you said to him? No, I can't really. Uh, <laughs> don't know if I said so, anything to him. I just got very uh, close to him anyway. You did. You did. You, you wouldn't be able to do that now. You've got to be two metres away. Social distancing didn't happen there. 
Um, Holdsworth gets a second for 2-1, but then yeah. it's another penalty just before half-time. Yeah. You know, yourself and Jasker Leinen, technically excellent players. So at that point, when, when, you're, when you're lining up, is it, is it a psychological battle between the two of you? Yeah, I changed my mind. I knew he was going that way. And I kept saying to me, he's going that way. So again, I was so clear. I was absolutely so clear. And I actually was going to walk up and say put it on the other side. And every time I say it now, I'm thinking I'm going to do that. Every time I see that night, I'm thinking, yes, Jim, just pass it in there. I was actually just going to roll it in because I knew I'd had a little look and I knew he was going there. But whatever happened, I just went the same side. I changed my mind. And I mean, milliseconds from the, from the second I was going to touch the ball, I changed my mind. I was actually just going to roll it and then boom. And of course, they were absolutely delighted. Delighted. And they were all, you know, unlucky, Jim. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so so I, we had the root group, half time. Yeah. I remember half time again. Credit George, very calm, and he—he he, was his insistence. We got to play more. We need to—we need to do more with the ball, and I, and, and I agreed with him. Uh, but I remember having that moment, and I remember going to the, the toilet, and I went, "Oh, please don't let this be me." More than anything, don't let me miss in a penalty, please. You know, don't let it be me. So very determined second half to to make amends. So when when you miss the penalty, what what goes through your head at that at that point? At that point, I'm thinking, that's it. I'm not getting. It's me. It's my fault. Uh, for about five seconds, and then they're in my ear, and I thought, right, get rid of that thought. Let's get after these again. So uh, yeah, and you did. Half time. And you did in the, in the in the in the 49th minute. Um, it's I, I describe it as a messy like. Uh, goal it's fantastic you know you do a brilliant dribble into the box and you finish into the top corner for your second of the game yeah given that you're not known as a as a, as a no. fast fast player um can you give us a secret to your your dribbling abilities and how you've been able to score this type of goal i always had quick feet do you know i always had quick feet i had to have quick feet the magic quick brain but i you know it's simply it was simply i had to bang myself pain it was that all all i kept saying is the space I have in front of me is the space I have to play. If I have to shift the ball either side, I had to shift the ball. So it was always, as the ball's coming to me, I always had a picture. I knew where you were. Do you know what I mean? So I knew as an opposition, if it was one touch or two touch, but I had to shift the ball. So I constantly worked on quick feet, quick feet, left, right, left, right, left, right. But I, I think what has to be uh, put on record as well is jo Jono's touches for the first penalty was magnificent. He's had a little look and it's a lovely little thing. Vino's rattled the ball into him. I think it's his, his little thing to me again. So he presented himself twice. Fantastic little touches. Great awareness from Jono. And then it was kind of like people, I, was, I just kept shifting the ball. Kept shifting the ball. And then once, I had a little look and once the opportunity arose where I thought, right, I'm putting that there. It's going there. Now if he makes a save, wonderful. But that's where it's going. And it, you know, I hit it well enough. It was a really clean strike, and the ball goes top corner. So, listen, that's Roy the Rover stuff for me. That was boys' own. You know, it was just a fabulous moment. But again, it was huge relief. I thought, oh, that penalty isn't going to come. Well, it might still cost us, but it's not at the minute. <laughs> they might forgive me. Sadly, that that joy was was short lived because oh. obviously Johnston basically almost Man. straight from the kickoff. Yeah, it's Man. it's you know that's one of the worst things for you, is it? As a as a yeah. player, that you you get. You know, yeah. you get level. One hundred percent, Sean. You can't like you, you can't even celebrate. You haven't even got time to think. Oh, what a good player I am! 
Oh, what a what wonderful dancing feet I have. Goal. And, and Alan Johnson pulls one out of nowhere. Like his goal, the quality of goals, like it was an unbelievable goal. And you're going, oh my goodness. You're going to have to, we're going to have, I, I actually felt uh, that we're going to have to score more goals in them prior to the game. I always felt that, uh, albeit we built a lot around a very good defensive foundation, very solid. We, we were kind of loose defensively. And it felt that way on the night. We, I just felt we're going to have to score more than these. Now, we didn't get a breather because J- Johnson puts one in. And and then you're going, oh, here we go. Now we're gonna, now we're really going to have to step it up. And we did. To be fair, our quality of our play increased as the game wore on. And I think we wore them down with that. I think we did. I think they were very strong on the counter. And that proved again to be the point. Uh, the, the, the point, yeah, because Klaus Jensen... You know, on the counter attack, ready makes an unbelievable save, and that's probably was that extra time. But yeah, that that kind of way, that was how it panned out. We were just really strong and stronger with the ball. Ipswich, obviously, you know, with the their previous hat trick of, of failing in the in the playoffs, and, and you know, us fans were were going into the last minute. We're we're three two down. You know, Mogger's playing up front as as yeah. the big man, and I think it's a it's a big boot forward from Vino, I think, and um. Yeah, Mogger, Mogger nods it down, um, and I've written a, I've written some things here, but I, I can't just just talk me through it. He nods it down. Talk me through from the the fact that the ball's going your direction to how it felt when you were laying on your back on the turf celebrating with your players. Yeah, I'll take you back to Vino. So the ball lands at Mark Venus, and I'm looking at Mark Venus, and I'm lo- I'm I'm looking at Mark, I'm looking at Mogger. And I know Mark Venus will land it somewhere in the, that vicinity. I have no doubt. So before it even before it even leaves his foot, I'm away. And I know, I know, if it's in anywhere around Mugga, I'm going to get second ball. I was just desperate to get around second ball. When you see Mark Venus then play that pass, the header from Mugga is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. He's every sinew of his neck muscle. It is the most unbelievable layoff you could ever imagine. So, so as that's going, I'm making the ground up, and I'm knowing right, Mugga is—he just drops it. Now, as it, I'm expecting it to drop, I'm already looking at the goal. I'm thinking I'm went up two options. I—if it's dropping, I'm chipping it. I, I see Yaskin Lane, and I'm going. I'm chipping him. He's off his lane. The other one is if it bounces, I'm going to volley. I'm going to nip. And I'm going to hit it between someone's legs because he can't see it. Oh, it's just something in my head was going between their legs, between the legs. Keeper can't move. Keeper can't move. So as it's going, it drops down. Knee, just strike. Keep it down. Keep it down. I think it goes through Frank, uh, the French guy they had, his legs. And uh, you ask the line, he can't move. He can't see it. And then when it nestles in the net, I'm going, happy days. Happy, happy days. Now, listen, after that is a blur. You are, you turn into a maniac, a lunatic. You lose all sense. You haven't a clue what you do. I hadn't, I'm brushing money away. I'm, I'm, I'm just in another planet. And the noise, the noise is deafening. People are on the stand, they're going bananas. I get this fella coming on to me. I'm hugging him, I'm chucking him off. I'm thinking pandemonium here, pandemonium. And then it's, whoosh, it's settled down here. Do you know what I mean? Settle down. 
But yet that kind of way was the defining moment. I don't know if that broke them, but it certainly it certainly gave us. I think everybody then felt, oh, we're going to Wembley here. We're, we broke this. This voodoo is gone. This 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 is gone now. Now, as a player, you're thinking, get switched on again because what happened previously? Do not switch off. Do not switch off for a second. But yeah, that, that moment, very very clear thinking from. You know, as I said, the clarity. But once that was done, boom! Let's get let's get focused now. Let's go and win the game. Uh, as a fan, you 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 could sense that their their heads had gone. You know, and when, when the red right. cards come, if we if we take right. it to to the the next penalty that uh, that Jamie Clapham took. Now, I think from what I recall, is that you and Mogger had a conversation before you and uh, about who was going to take yeah. it. Was he said you're not hitting it? I went, yeah. He said, no, you're not. And Vino then, Vino jumps in, as Vino always does. He went, no, let him hit it. And I'm going, I'm hitting this. And, and by the time we're having a conversation, Jamie Clapham's got the ball. And I'm going, no, 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 no. So Clapham gets the ball. So I didn't want to dispute. At the end of the day, that was it. Mugga, Mugga, I think what Mugga did cleverly was divert my attention from Jamie Clapham. And he did it pretty, pretty well. Because Clapham has the ball. Now, Jamie takes guts, real character. Uh, steps up and scores. At that stage, calm, cool. Let's focus on the. Let's play the minutes out. Play the game. Play exactly because we were very strong with the ball. Dominate the ball. Make them chase it. Stay strong. Stay positive. Still play forward passes. Do not detract. Don't get carried away with yourselves here. Let's just stay in the game. So Elliot gets sent off for Bolton on a, a scythe down Martin Royce. Yeah. Uh, basically makes it safe at that point. I think most of us think, think that we're going to Wembley. Um, yeah. The the other guys right. on the on the on the Blue Monday podcast they did a show recently, and there was a discussion about Bolton's approach because this game did get quite nasty with the two red cards, you know, three penalties, yeah. ten yellows. Was their approach overly aggressive from the word go, or did they just lose their heads? And given the comments from Sam Allardyce since, do you have any sympathy for the referee Barry Knight? I thought he made, uh, there was maybe one contentious one. I think he made all the right decisions. And I, if, I felt he, if I felt he made a poor decision, I would tell you. But I, th- I felt he made the right decisions. Mick Whitlow got sent off, two yellow cards. Uh, well, who, who, who got sent off? Uh, Elliot, Elliot. Aye. Yeah. Elliot, you know, he, 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 he lashes out. It's a, it's a, sorry, it's a, did he get a straight red? Yeah, he did, I can't yeah. Remember. Yeah, one of them got a right. Yeah, I mean, at this point, yeah. my head's even gone now. So, yeah, yeah. The, do, do you think people used to say about Ipswich that, you know, we had like a, you know, like that famous sort of soft underbelly and, you know, yeah. we, we were a soft touch? Do you think that, you know, that was Bolton's approach from the beginning to bully us? I think it was. I think, I think it wasn't so much. They, they, they were physical, they were aggressive. And if you're physically aggressive and you bully the opposition, then it's up to the opposition to counteract that. They, they had a very strong, technical, physical, right, aggressive save. But they had wonderful footballers. They had wonderful footballers. Jensen, Gu Johnson, Johansson, Alan Johnson. I wouldn't say overly aggressive. So, but they, 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 they came into the game maybe thinking that we did worse off. Maybe they thought they could intimidate us. But we, we had to stand up to them. And you have to, sometimes you have to meet aggression with aggression. Okay, and sometimes that aggression, yeah, you know, brawn, brain. Do you know what I mean? So, so 
that part of the game in the extra time was more brain than brawn. So think, I think them, keep the ball moving, just keep playing the spare man, get little triangles going, then get out the other side because he overloaded one side, get the ball switched, let them run, let them chase it. But in all fairness to them, they showed tremendous character throughout it. Jensen has an unbelievable chance. Reddy makes an unbelievable save. They keep going. Dean Holdsworth, there's credit, keeps going. He's, he's limping, so they're really down to it, but they showed unbelievable character too. And I always have tremendous, uh, you know, one, not so much sympathy for them, but respect for them. Because they were a good say. They were a really good say. But we, on the night, were a better say. We, we fairly beat them. I think so. I think yeah. so. When I look back on it, I think we deserve to win. It was, it was very, very close. Very close. Obviously, the numerical advantage is always going to help a team to dominate the ball like we did. And we controlled the ball and we made them work. And we, and we all we all were confident that we were going to be able to retain the ball, which was great. It, like I said, it was my, my favourite game. Is it, is it your favourite game that you played in? Yeah. that The, the charting game was a, was a really enjoyable game for me. A really enjoyable game. And that was building up to that night and Wembley. Uh, yeah, I felt in total control. It made me felt of my emotions, but I was totally in control of my emotions. I wanted people, I wanted them to see that one, we weren't, and I keep going back that we weren't going to be intimidated by you, right? But my emotions were in check, and my clarity and decision making was so precise, and I felt really on top of the game. So I wasn't, I wasn't overawed by the experience. I, I I couldn't wait for it to happen, and and even to this day, I can remember lots of things that happened in the game. So yeah, it's one of my favourite games. Of course, it is. Now you mentioned the W word Wembley, uh, yeah. so uh, old Wembley. You know, it, it, this is a game that is is set for Jim Jilton, isn't it? You know, big stadium, big stage, live on TV. You know, there, there was a sense from town fans in the in the three years where we failed in the semi-finals that if we actually got to Wembley in a one-off game, we, we would yeah. win. How confident were you and the team going into that final? Yeah, very confident. You know, you can't not be not confident. But I'll tell you what, we were very cautious. And 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 we weren't overconfident because we had to give respect to a really good side. A side, right, that, that you look at and totally dominated a semi-final against a strong Birmingham side. And you looked at Chipperley. Hignett, Thomas, Barnard, Seattle, they had top, top players. So it was no surprise. And when you look back on the final and you think of the, the challenges we faced in that final, we had a sp- they had a great spell, we had a great spell. It was kind of my evenly balanced. I was biased for a long time. And I watched it back and I'm thinking, oh, that was, that was a little bit tighter than what people have imagined. I remember Andy Rhodes saying to me, he, who came in, and Andy was the goalkeeping coach at Barnsley at that time, he said, you kidding me? He said, we had every chance of winning that game. And you know what? He probably was right. You know, because yeah. there were moments in the game where the game could have went away from us. Certainly they started so so bright, much brighter than we did. But the build-up to Wembley was everything I dreamed of. Everything I dreamed of. Walking onto the pitch. Walking out the tunnel end. Blue and white everywhere. And the red at the far end. It was a lovely contrast. And it was a lovely feel to the day. Even Wembley way. I managed to see... Uh, my family, which gained very emotional, and and blue and red. It was a brilliant day. 
and walking out, but I remember walking out the tunnel end, and I'd been lucky enough to go there with Liverpool as a boy and and at a, a charity shield walking, but this was knowing that you're going to play, knowing that you're going to, you know, you hopefully you're going to make a contribution. Walking out there, it was it was everything, everything I ever thought it was going to be. But I remember, I remember once we, I remember going to Neil Shepherdly having a chat. Ships and I had been playing, uh, playing uh, partners at, at Southampton, playing mates. I remember hugging him and having a listen, good luck, blah blah blah. Hope you lose, right? So, <laughs> so, so, but walking back, I remember walking back, and I was lost in my own thoughts. And then this noise came up. It was this noise? And I'm looking, and I'm looking behind me. I'm thinking, what's what's going on? And I and I kind of just drifted off on my own. And I was walking down, and and the place lifted. And I thought, is what's is that for me? Is you know? And I, I thought, can't be, can't be for me. And it was on. It was honestly even now, like it was unbelievable. Like, and I thought, save it. Yeah. Just flip and save this, right? If we win this. Yes, I'll go and hug and kiss every single one of you, but keep it. But it was lovely. It was a lovely gesture. And I remember feeling even more passionate and even more clear. Listen, we got to do it for these boys. We got to do it for our supporters. Yeah, they've been starved of this. So, but again, boom, focus. The yeah. whole concentrate. Get in the change room. Prepare as normal. Keep everybody ready, right? And let's go. But the kickoff, flip me. They were, they were brilliant. Barnes were brilliant. Oh, six minutes in. Well, I've just got I've got to admit to you, Jim, that actually I wasn't at Wembley. Um, really? I flew out I flew out to Jamaica on, on my honeymoon. Um, <laughs> and you've so, never forgiven her, have you? You've no, I haven't. No. Her. 20, 20 <laughs> years, our 20 year anniversary is coming up as well. So um, six minutes into the game. So, you know, hearing it from you, it's fantastic. Six minutes into the game. Craig yeah. Hignett's shot comes off the yeah. bar, hits right on his back and, and goes back in. But then suddenly you, you get an assist crossing the ball to Mowbray, who seems to yeah. tower above lots yeah. of people. Um, it's 1-1, but we have Richard Wright. He, he charges out, he concedes yeah. a, a penalty, which you, you're not too happy about. No. But then he saves it from Barnard. Yeah. Having survived the early own goal and the, the penalty, are you concerned or, or is it just yeah. that name on the trophy stuff? Yeah, I'm concerned. Definitely concerned. Because you got to get yourself in the moments of the game. Everybody else, you can't play on occasion. You got to just think it's a it's a pitch, it's a football pitch. You're playing against the opposition, who by the way are not going to give it to you, and they most certainly proved that in 45 minutes. It was a kind of way a harsh lesson for us. Regroup. Let's now start to dominate. Let's start to the right. Let's start to dominate our play against theirs. Let's start moving the ball quicker. We didn't do that. We, we, we were making fundamental mistakes. We were careless with the ball. Again, things that George illustrated at half-time. Calm down. Let's just play our game. And then I thought we started the second half and then I had had 20 minutes of a real good spell. And again, you get caught up in the emotion and you, and, and you, things you re- recall. John going off. That would have given them as a lift. John would have been earmarked for them. David Johnson was a top, top player. You know, massive threat for us. Him going, off, him going off gives them a massive confidence lift. One less thing to worry about. Then on comes the Ginger Ninja, who has an absolute worldly, right? So Bam Bam comes on, and he was immense in the game. Immense. 
and we have that lovely spell where we're in total control of the game. So, we, so again, our destiny rests in our own hands. We go three one up, and you're thinking, boom, this could, let's kill the game off. Uh, you're right. You know, uh, uh, the ginger ninja, and then and then Marcus Stewart puts three one up. Yeah. Uh, but we're never quite home and hose as Hignett nope. uh, sticks another penalty away for three two, yeah. and then there's a big big chance for Barnsley yeah. with Fristoff. Um, which, you know, right, he pulls out a fantastic save. Um, However, on 90 minutes, uh, Naylor puts Royce clean through. What are your memories? What are your memories at that point when you watch the ball from from the Ginger Ninja? Relief. Oh, listen, he wasn't going to miss. Gorgeous Gus was not going to miss. Do you know what I mean? Chocolate himself, he was never going to miss. He was kissing himself before the ball went in their net. He was already (laughs) celebrating. (laughs) Relief. It was just utter relief. I remember uh, at 3-2, the save, ready save, and, and, and we're clinging. John McGreal hadn't played many games. John's back. You know, Jamma goes off. Fabian comes up. The family would come on. Uh, Crofty's out in his feet. You know, we had lads who were out in their feet. They were, they were gone, I'm thinking. If this goes the extra time, we could be in a bit of trouble here. We could be in a wee bit of trouble. But I always felt, because they were pressing... We had enough pace in the team that we could counter. And, and that was a beautifully counter, counter-attacking goal. But once it went to him, never any doubt. Never a doubt. And uh, again, Royce, Premiership, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then, and then the final whistle. Oh, incredible feeling. Tell me, tell me what happened in the final whistle. You know, what, 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 can, you, what can you remember? It, it, do you know what? Everything that I thought it was going to be came flooding back to me. Everything. It was every boyhood dream I've ever had of raising my hands on the pitch, having won the game. It was pure relief, pure joy. It's the elation. But you know what? I remember then looking over and looking at Chris Morgan. And I always, Chris Morgan's come over and done his badges with Northern Ireland in the FM. I always bring this up, especially when we have a beer. And, but he was on his knees. He's on his knees. And you know what? My heart sank for him. It sank for him. I remember going over to him and picking him up. And, and he, he is just a fantastic lad. He was so gracious. And I was saying, Chrissy, I didn't know him. He said, just enjoy it, Jim. He says, and I, I just, my heart sank for him. But my respect for him went through the roof. And since that, and since those, since I got to know him, fabulous. It was a fabulous retort. And it was a it was wonderful sportsmanship from him, and then of course you just go do lally. You're gone. You're hugging. You're kissing. You're you're loving life, and it's just this incredible emotion. You're looking around you. You're seeing tears. You're seeing you're seeing George. You're seeing Dale. You're seeing people, grown men. You know, react in such a way that it can only happen in sport. Do you know what? It can only happen. And then you're looking down that end. And you're seeing a blue, see a blue, and you're just seeing people as happy as they're probably in those moments that they'll ever be, you know. And and that was just tremendous. It was just tremendous. And a huge amount of respect go to Barnsley. But, you know, for us as a football club, you think of the German, you think of the manager, you think of the, the years of hurt. And then you're thinking, I better be in the top three walking up them stairs at Wembley, up them steps at Wembley, because I'm getting up there. And I'm making sure I'm in that first part of it and pushing people out of the way, get me up there. So so it was getting into the queue 
And then seeing where my family were. So my brother, so my dad, so my mate, so my brother-in-laws. It couldn't have went any better. It was just one of those incredible days that you never forget. Did you did you feel vindicated at that point that your your move to Ipswich back in uh, you know nineteen ninety nine was you, did you feel vindicated? No, I just felt I'm going back to where I want to play, where I think I deserve to play, and I just couldn't wait to get back into the Premier League. Premier League, you know, people kept saying it, Premier League all day, and you know, and to feel that you've overcome that obstacle and that hurdle, and and I'm looking at young faces, I'm looking at young players. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they're going to have this unbelievable opportunity to play against the best players in the world because the Premier League was going through the roof. Top, top players. I'm thinking, right, well, I'm going to enjoy this for a week, at least a week, and then I'm going to get myself fit again. <laughs> but at that stage of the season, I felt invincible. I just felt fit. I felt confident, superhuman, uh, and just, you know, back in the Premier League, having won a playoff at Wembley, doesn't get any better. It doesn't, and I, I think it brings a nice natural end to what I'll, I'll call part one of possibly part whatever. Um, yeah. But just to finish, uh, can I fire some names at you and, yeah. and from this portion of your career, and can you give me your first thought on each? Yeah. Steve McManaman. Genius. Brian Horton. Madman. Matt Letitia. Genius number two. Graham Souness. Influential. Ron Atkinson. Phony. Matt Holland. Gorgeous. Sam Allardyce. Tough. Thank you, Jim, for this. It's, it's been an, an, an absolute pleasure. And uh, people who are listening, if they want to reach out to Jim, he's on Twitter at, at Magilton7. Um, you've become more active uh, recently. Was that a, Did you decide that you wanted to get involved in social media more? Yeah, I did a little bit, and, and I think with this and everything that's happening, uh, I just added bits and pieces. I think I think what's lost a lot as well, uh, and I know we're in this environment, is humour. I always felt that humour, Joe Joe was a genius with it, you know, he could kill one, he had one-liners, and, and I always felt that fun and humour and having one-liners and being able to make people laugh, and uh, was it's, it's such an important part, not only in sport, but in life. So... I can't anyway interact. I like interacting. Um, I'm, you know, I like criticism because it's part of part and parcel of learning. And uh, and I've just enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the banter and I've enjoyed the crack. Uh, people have been so kind and generous with their comments, which is lovely. Uh, and you know, I feel very grateful that they have done. And I tend not to look back, Sean. You know, it's lovely that I am now. But I can't anyway always look in that way. Always trying to look forward. Always trying to be positive. Always trying to look for what what next, you know. And my career kind of way followed that was one of the reasons why I chose Ipswich and Ipswich chose me. I think it was a, you know, a meeting uh, that was made in heaven for both of us in terms of both our careers, you know, and where we both went with, uh, in terms of the club. So yeah, very positive. Well, I hope you get uh, many people tweeting you saying that they they really enjoyed the interview and maybe you'll yeah. come back for for other parts, oh. Jim. But before you go, you know, you're speaking directly to the Ipswich fans. You know, it's 2020. Do you have a message for them? Stay hopeful. Do you know, please don't lose hope. Uh, it's a fantastic football club. It's going to rise again. Stay with them. Stay with the manager. Stay with the team. You know, there's still... Who knows what's going to happen this year? Who knows? You know, the most important thing is life and people surviving. 
you know, we're in the, we're living in extraordinary times. So please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Stay with the club. You know, don't walk away from this football club. This is a fantastic, unique football club. So please stay with it. Stay with them. Give them your support. They need you. Let's fill the stands again. It's an incredible place. I remember Sir Alex talking about the first night back when we played Man United in the Premier League. The atmosphere that was created. That That's hers on the back of your neck. We create that. Make them players have it. You know, at the end of the day, these players are going to get you maybe to where you want to be, where we all want us to be. So stay with them. You'll be pleased to know, Jim, that we're doing a 1999-2000 a, a, a review. So it's a, it's a much more in-depth review and the, and the final part's coming out. So hopefully the viewers will watch that. And myself and, and my colleague David Diamond, we're going through a 1980-81 uh, session, all 66 games. So that's going to take us a, a few weeks to get through that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Stay safe, Jim. Stay yeah, safe, everybody. Well. Thanks very much. Take Thank care. Thank you very much. Brilliant job. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there, offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurant. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.